0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. It's time for Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo.
2: Day four coming at you from Radio Row, and we've got a tremendous show lined up today. Three interviews coming at you, starting with Super Bowl 37 champ Tampa's own Sean King and that incredible conversation I alluded to in yesterday's monologue, plus one of my all-time favorite Radio Row guests, three-time Super Bowl champ Mark Schlereth joins the show, as well as Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. I absolutely can't wait for those three incredible spots, but let's get to it. We are three days out from the big game, Super Bowl 55, and we've spent so much time this week talking about the different matchups of this game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. We've gotten to... The battle in the trenches, of course, the Chiefs' offensive line a little banged up. Tampa's front seven, one of the fiercest in the game. We've gotten to these tight ends and how they stack up against each other. Gronk and Travis Kelsey, two all-time greats. A couple of all-time greats, as, uh, quarterback as well, and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. But how about two guys in this game who have a past, two guys who have a history with each other in the postseason, in the Super Bowl? Tom Brady, of course, and Chiefs' defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, Steve is a guy who knows a thing or two about beating Tom in the big game. And I think anyone who watches football, anyone who follows the game knows, if you want to beat Tom Brady in any game, but especially the Super Bowl, it comes down to how many times are you going to hit him. The more you knock Tom Brady on his ass in a football game, the better chance you have at beating him. Because that has been Tom's one weakness throughout the course of his career. tough opposing front sevens. You saw it. Super Bowl Forty Two. Steve Spagnuolo's Giants defense, the wild card underdog, that team sacked him five times for a combined loss of 37 yards. But the Spagnuolo-Tom Brady rivalry goes even deeper. It goes back to the early 2000 Super Bowl between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots. That 24-21 Patriot win where Spags was the linebacker coach for Philly under head coach Andy Reid, and that Eagles defense played a hell of a game against Tom Brady. Put the Eagles in numerous positions to win that game. Of course, you had Donovan McNabb, who I love, who I think is one of the most underrated quarterbacks of all time, didn't step up to the plate in that one, threw three interceptions, enabling New England to walk away victorious. But Spagnola and Andy Reid's defense in that Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl got the job done. And going back to that Giants Super Bowl, the first one, Super Bowl 42 between New York and New England, I mean, Tom Brady was 18-0 going into that game, had Randy Moss coming off one of the best seasons of his Hall of Fame career, and Tom Brady was just a shell of himself in that game after putting together such a historic season. So Spagnola has his number. He knows how to approach him. He knows how to get into the pocket and how to hit Tom Brady. I can't wait to see what he's got planned for this game. I mean, this is a Chiefs defense that has not been spoken about much this year, and rightfully so. They were just average in the regular season, averaging two sacks per contest, giving up a lot of points to teams that had less than stellar offenses. You know, I always like to go back to that Carolina game, and uh, that's a game I looked at, and I said, how did the Chiefs only beat the Panthers 33-31, right? In fact, that game might be the biggest reason why I took Buffalo to upset Kansas City in the AFC Championship game because you had a two-point win against Carolina. You had just an eight-point win against Denver in their second meeting. I mean, there was a common theme of the Chiefs playing down, but now we look at this team, how they reacted, how they responded in the postseason, where they are today, and it's obvious, it's apparent. They were disinterested with the lower competition. The Chiefs have been waiting for this moment all season to prove themselves once again to get a chance to repeat as world champions and as amazing as Patrick Mahomes is, as incredible as Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are, I think what's going to determine whether or not Kansas City can repeat this year is ultimately their defense against a Hall of Fame quarterback and an explosive offense in Tom Brady and the Bucks. Look at how that defense reacted against Buffalo, right? You had Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, who quickly joined Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill as one of the most dynamic quarterback-receiver duos in the league, they got nothing done. They got absolutely nothing done in that game until it was already garbage time and Diggs was able to break into the end zone. And look, that's not a knock on Allen or Diggs, and that's not me saying that they couldn't step up in the big moment, but that's me saying that Kansas City's defense, Steve Spagnola's defense, was able to step up in the big moment in that one. You know, I mentioned what the Giants' defense did in Super Bowl 42, sacking Brady five times, causing the Patriots to lose 37 yards. Well, this Spagnola defense, this Chiefs' defense, hit Josh Allen four times, sacked him four times, hit him plenty more, and they caused that Bills' offense to lose 53 yards on just those four plays. You know, look, you get in the end zone by moving the ball down the field, but this game is going to be won by, I think, who can cause the opposing team to lose more yardage, to get the big stops, you know? And, and that includes playing three full downs of defense because that was my biggest knock on Green Bay in the NFC Championship game. How many times, especially in that first quarter, the first few drives, did Green Bay get Tampa to third down only to take the playoff? Only to let Tom Brady, I believe, convert eight of his first third down opportunities in that one. Kansas City is going to have to be sharper, and I think because of their defensive coordinator, because of a guy like Steve Spagnola, they absolutely will be. You know, we've spent so much time talking about Tampa Bay's front seven, Tampa Bay's pass rush against the Chiefs' offensive line, and look, the Buccaneers, their offensive line has been an absolute model of consistency all season. They've stayed relatively healthy. They're young. They're aggressive. They're talented. I think the Chiefs' defensive line is going to give them hell. I think that this Chiefs defensive line is such a step up from Green Bay's D-line that Tampa Bay just faced that they're really going to struggle out there against the likes of Frank Clark on the outside who got to Josh Allen twice in that conference championship game and against Chris Jones on the interior. I mean, Chris Jones is one of the best, if not the best, interior defensive linemen in football. I mean, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, Aaron Donald... There's your top three. Obviously, I'd probably go Aaron Donald as the best, but for the number two spot, flip a coin, Chris Jones DeForest Buckner. The man is an absolute beast, and I didn't think Kansas City would be able to retain him. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes got his record-setting extension. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in upcoming years are going to demand big money, I'm sure, but Chris Jones was able to work something out after that Super Bowl a year ago. Obviously, he prioritized winning and the chance that He saw that we clearly saw to win more Super Bowls with Kansas City. He's back, and I believe Chris Jones is going to have an incredibly huge game if the Chiefs are able to pull this one off. Uh, Look, you know, you go back to that Eagles staff with Steve Spagnuolo, obviously the linebacker coach back then, not the D coordinator on those Eagles teams, under Andy Reid, and that defensive coaching staff was absolutely wild. I mean, I've talked about the Bills and their matchup with Kansas City, the incredible season out in Buffalo. Sean McDermott was the safeties coach on that Philadelphia team that got to the Super Bowl. How about their special teams coordinator, John Harbaugh? Heard of him, a Super Bowl-winning coach down in Baltimore? Uh, I mean, Andy Reid, everywhere he's gone, has brought incredible coaching, incredible coordinators with him, and that's a testament to Andy Reid because these guys want to work for him. They want to work with him. You know, you look at his coordinators right now, Steve Spagnola, of course, who has been an incredible defensive coordinator for the majority of his career, didn't really work out as a head coach with the Rams and some down years in St. Louis, but a brilliant defensive mind following Reed to Kansas City. The rise of Eric Bieniemy, who we'll talk about it. You'll hear it with Sean King in just a few moments. Eric Bieniemy needs to be a head coach already. I mean, this is one of the most brilliant offensive minds in the game, and he can't get a sniff, and I don't want to hear, it's because Andy Reid calls the plays. Does Andy Reid call the plays? Yes, absolutely. Eric Biennemi is the guy who designs the schemes. Eric Bienemy is the guy who utilizes Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Nicole Hardman, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Darrell Williams, in the best possible ways that those guys can be utilized out there. Bienemy needs to be a head coach. And, man, this coaching staff from Kansas City, this would be the staff. If any staff out there can outsmart a guy like Tom Brady, it would be these minds, these players, these chiefs. We'll see what they can do on Sunday. My official pick comes out tomorrow. I don't think I'm alluding to anything just yet. But when we return, Super Bowl 37 champ, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, St. Petersburg kid, Sean King, joins the show. Stick with us on Sorallo Sports Talk. We'll be right back.
1: don't go anywhere you're listening to sorallo sports talk with joe sorallo
2: back here on Serralo Sports Talk and joining the show now. It's Super Bowl 37 champ, two-time Conference USA Player of the Year, Tampa Bay's own Sean King. Sean, thanks so much for joining the show.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, man. How have you been? You have been good?
2: I'm doing all right, man. Making the most of this virtual radio row setup right here in Tampa. (laughs) It's uh, not like most years, but hey, we're rolling with the punches, right?
3: Absolutely. Got to pivot. Got to learn how to pivot.
2: Absolutely, Sean. Now look, there's plenty to get to, of course, your time here playing for your hometown Bucks, Super Bowl 37. But I want to start back in your college career. I mean that 1998 season. Uh, where do I start your record setting passer rating your undefeated 12 and 0 season with the green wave being responsible for nearly 50 touchdowns. What was clicking in New Orleans that year?
3: Well, I truly believe this. Hard work and special people create special moments, and mm-hmm. that's what we did. It's a great group of people that, you know, really committed to working hard, doing things the right way, and uh, got a few bounces that year, and, and you know, we went undefeated. You know, a lot of people don't know this. We were 4-18 and 18 my first two years at Tulane. So to come from that start to that finish, you know, it's pretty special, which kind of mimics my Buccaneers for a long time. You know, we haven't been very good, you know, bags on the heads. Other fans at home games, you know, when the blackout rule existed, not being able to watch the team unless they're on the road on TV. So to see them get here is pretty special.
2: Yeah, it absolutely is. And we're going to get to all of that. But, you know, Sean, you are a St. Petersburg kid. So after mm-hmm. that incredible season, that 12-0 season down in Tulane, draft night rolls around, you hear the phone ring and you're playing for your hometown team. Take us through what are those emotions like when you get the call to play for the team that you grew up in the shadow of?
3: It was awesome. The only thing I regret is generally the first and second round pick get to ride on the jet. You know, they're somewhere else. They fly to the city. They just got drafted. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I jumped in my dad's uh, Ford Expedition and drove over to one buck. But, I mean, tremendous, you know, experience. You know, a house full of people that are from, you know, the Bay Area. And to, you know, have that phone ring and Coach Dungy on the other end saying that uh I was about to be a Bay Buccaneer. I mean, that was pretty neat.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And how about that rookie season? Trent Dilfer goes down with a neck injury, and you are thrown into the fire. You go 4-1 and down the stretch. You win what was, at the time, the NFC Central and bring Tampa all the way to the NFC Championship game that year. What was it like being thrown into the fire like that as a rookie?
3: Well, my dad just raised me, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And, you know, it's just one of those situations where I just kept working. You know, I was drafted to be – the future quarterback, not the quarterback for that season, but I worked like I was a starter. You know, I just felt like, you know, I had this opportunity, you know, just in the small chance, you know, something goes wrong or something goes right, you know, and I get in the game, you know, I want to make sure I don't embarrass myself. So <laughs> I'll never forget we we're in Seattle and, and Trent was rolling to his right and he, he got tackled and he didn't get up. And it's uh, it's pretty surreal moment there. I couldn't find my helmet. Luckily it was third down. <laughs> so the offense is coming off the field, but I mean, the rest is kind of history. By the way, I'm still looking for the replay official uh, in the Rams game. We, we're still trying to find him. Uh, for, your, for, your, for your viewers, that was the Bert Emanuel catch. And yeah. that was the quarterback. And that was the catch then, and it's still a catch now. We should be talking about our organization's third Super Bowl berth, not second.
2: Uh, Sean, you're 100% right. I mean, you you had your team in it right until the end of that conference championship game. The following season, you're the starter the entire way through, and you guys go 10-6, and six. Week seventeen, of course. There's that missed kick by Gramatica. Probably would have won you guys the division. But to go ten and six after a full season, your first full season. How'd you feel about your finally getting that first full season audition? How'd you feel about your performance?
3: Well, I thought I was tremendous. I mean, second year <laughs> in the league. You know, first year as a full-time starting quarterback. Uh, ten and six record. You know, plus touchdown, interception ratio, you know, ran for a few touchdowns. I was looking to get a raise, and I got fired. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess they didn't see my performance the way I did. But, hey, man, it's one of those harsh realities in life. Uh, but it was a great season. You know, uh, we ran into a juggernaut in the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, yeah. we were on the road, and they were really good team, especially defensively. So, you know – I always look back on it, and it's kind of bittersweet for me because it's supposed to be a great experience, and I really enjoyed it. But, you know, anytime you you, bring someone else in to take your your spot, you know, that's never something that you look back fondly on. But it happens.
2: No, no, it's absolutely one of the harsh realities of the business. But, you know, looking back on it from an outsider's perspective, right, Sean, it doesn't make any sense. You go 14-7 and in your first two years in the regular season. That includes a trip to the conference championship game as a rookie. And then Tampa goes out and they sign Brad Johnson. Why do you think they made that move? Johnson was coming off one of the worst years of his career with Washington.
3: And, and we had beaten them in the playoffs the year before. So yeah, <laughs> that, that made it uh, even even more, more tough to swallow. But I think what it was was they were looking for a veteran at that position. I think they felt like we were good enough in all the other places and really experienced and really elite. And, you know, it just wasn't a league where a young quarterback, you know, got a lot of patience, you know, and just kind of one of those things, you know, uh, Brad's one of my best friends. So I definitely don't have any hard feelings towards Brad. I told him I'd have took the 30 million too if they offered it. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, if you could rewind life, of course, you'd like to see what could have happened if I was given a chance to come back and be the starter again. So, well, You live and you learn. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I've grown, you know, I got stronger. Adversity is a great opportunity to grow. And that was definitely an adverse
2: situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just it still doesn't make sense to me. I mentioned that 10 and six season. You put them in a position to be 11 and five with that week 17 game before Gramatica misses the kick. And, you know, not to throw your teammate under the bus, but if it weren't for that kick, you lead them to a second straight division title. And then you get replaced. To me, it just it I got, doesn't I got, I,
3: I got to hire you, John. I got to hire
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll do all your PR, man. It just, no, it, truthfully, it doesn't make sense. You know, do you feel like you were ahead of your time? We're finally starting to see more mobile quarterbacks, finally starting to see more black quarterbacks in this league. And do you feel like what you did that year? Yes, you only threw for 18 touchdowns, but you ran for five more. You ran for over 10 that season at Tulane. Do you feel like you came ahead of your time?
3: I do, and I think more so because the schematic setup that exists in the NFL now was non-existent back then. The NFL was still a tight end and fullback league. The majority of the plays were from under center. You know, nobody was you know shotgun-centric, spreading teams out, fast athletes getting the ball in space, which is what we did at Tulane and had a lot of success. Yeah. You know, so I think if I came, if I was coming into the league now it's more acceptable to style of football, you know, that I was accustomed to now than it was then. So, again, everybody, you know, thought the blueprint was, you know, tall, sturdy, you know, guy with a different skin tone than me. <laughs> you yeah, know, no, in it's, the it's the sad that truth. Just kind of, yeah, it just was. But uh, hopefully those times are changing, you know, Jay. And, you know, I think a lot more young men that look like me are getting opportunities, especially from a uh, opportunity to be a starter. Yeah. You know, I think the next – aspect for growth is viewing black quarterbacks as nurturers as people that if they're not the starter can still bring value to the locker room, to the quarterback room, can nurture a young quarterback, teach them, mentor them, you know, because you don't see a lot of Rodney Peets in the NFL and this is no knock on Rodney Peet. This is, you know, me giving him his credit, a guy that plays a 16 17 year career as a black quarterback. That's not uh, necessarily a frontline starter you know, during the majority of that career. So I think that's our next step to move in that direction.
2: And how does it feel for you to look at the quarterbacks in the league today? I mean, the last two MVPs this year will be Aaron Rodgers in all likelihood. But prior to that, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, both black quarterbacks. You've got Kyler Murray, Russ Wilson, guys that are taking the league by storm. Deshaun Watson, who is the hottest commodity available this offseason. How does it feel to watch the success these guys are having today?
3: It feels good. It feels good to know that we played a small part. You know, you think about that 99 draft class that I was in, Donovan McNabb, Akili Smith, Dante Culpepper, Aaron Brooks, myself. So, you know, I think that class, you know, made a lot of headway, had a lot of success. So to see these young guys flourishing, you know, I'm I'm all for it.
2: Yeah, it's, it's incredible to watch. I want to shift over, though, to the coaching situation in the NFL, because while you're seeing more guys get the opportunity to play quarterback, there still just aren't enough black coaches. And you've got, I think, two of the best minds in the game, the offensive coordinators in this Super Bowl, Eric mm-hmm. B Byron Leftwich. bien has been on the scene a little longer. Why doesn't he have a job still, Sean?
3: I don't know, and I think it's a travesty. I mean, you look at the success they've had in Kansas City, you know, he's playing a prominent key role in that success. You know, he's been a mentor for a lot of young players, in kansas city on offense so he's shown he can develop men he and he can be creative on offense so why he hadn't gotten a shot i have no idea you know uh again what i was talking about quarterbacks being nurturers mm-hmm. you know you think about if i'm not mistaken uh that 99 class brady and breeze came the following two years 2000 and 2001 and i think the longest career from our class for one of the black quarterbacks was uh, donovan McNabb, and i think his last year was maybe 13 if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. So you look at Brady, Breeze, great Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but Donovan should still be in the league somewhere backing up. Yeah. You know, old head, you know, just helping a young guy develop. Dante should, you know, those guys should be in the league. And they also should be given opportunities. And you, you know, you look at the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach position in college and NFL, there's not a lot of representation from a minority standpoint. You know, yeah. Byron Leftwich, in my opinion, should have gotten interviewed during this cycle. You know, he did an outstanding job with a young, talented but turnover-prone quarterback last year in Jameis Winston. Then mm-hmm. to change to a Hall of Fame caliber, multiple Super Bowl-winning quarterback in Tom Brady, and the transition be seamless during a pandemic. You know, I think that speaks a lot about his maturity, his ability, his ability to manage people and to make pieces fit, you know, regardless of, you know, how different the quarterback is. And you don't hear his name mentioned a lot. So salute to you for even bringing him up.
2: No, of course. Look, I I was talking to Bruce Arians yesterday in his press conference, and he spoke about how when Byron Leftwich was a player, Arians already had him on his radar to be a coach. And another guy like uh, like Leftwich, who has actually been on the show a few times, he went the broadcaster route instead of becoming a coach, Charlie Batch. Another guy Mm -hmm. with just a brilliant offensive mind, another black quarterback who knows the game as good as anyone out there. Look, let's get to the game, Super Bowl 55, what's it it. like as a St. Pete kid, as a Tampa Bay Buck yourself, what's it like to see the Buccaneers become the first team in 55 years to play in the game in their own stadium?
3: Well, that's big time, because we had a chance to do it. Uh, I think the Giants ended up playing the Ravens, and we were picked to win the Super Bowl, and we just didn't get the job done. So to see this group, you know, overcome a lot of adversity this year and get it done, that's special. You know, now I just need uh, the good Lord to have this weather cooperate. It's like 48 degrees here right now. I'm not sure what's going on.
2: What the hell, Sean? (laughs) I came from New York for this. I had to pack a jacket. I'm here in short sleeves all week, man. I'm getting screwed. Like we're trying to make the Chiefs fan
3: comfortable. (laughs) 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 But it's supposed to warm up, and hopefully it will. But, I mean, it's a great opportunity to showcase our town. I think a lot of people that haven't been here in a while are going to be, you know, very impressed by how Tampa's grown.
2: Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Look, I've been to Florida over a dozen times, always the East Coast, never made my way out to Tampa, and I'm loving this week. So, Sean, before I let you go, how's this game unfolding? How do you see Super Bowl 55 going?
3: Well, I think it's a battle of turnovers. I think whichever defense can force the elite quarterback into turning the football over, I think that team's going to win. I think uh, both offenses are so talented, they're going to eventually make some plays. But the offense that limits turnovers, I think, is the one that's going to win. I'm going to say 27-24 Tampa.
2: There you have it. From Super Bowl 37 champ, Sean King himself. Sean, thanks so much for joining the show.
3: Hey, Jason, appreciate it, man. Anytime.
2: Here we go. Don't
1: even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe.
2: We're back here on Sorello Sports Talk and joining the show now. You've heard him here before. It's three-time Super Bowl champ and NFL on Fox color analyst, Mark Schlereth. Mark, thanks so much for joining the show.
4: Joe, it's my pleasure, man. Always good to see you, man, and always good to be on with you.
2: Yeah, I miss having you down here in person, but, you know, that's the times, man. We have to make it work. I want to start with the early news of the week. The L.A. Rams and Detroit Lions swapping quarterbacks. How do you like this Matt Stafford fit in L.A.? I love it. Um, Matt Stafford,
4: they like far too often
2: people look at quarterbacks and
4: think, well, that quarterback is good because he's got a great winning record or that quarterback is bad because his record isn't very good. Matthew Stafford is an elite level quarterback, an elite level talent an elite level thrower of the football and one of the toughest dudes that has ever played the game. And so I have nothing but the utmost respect for what he's been able to accomplish throughout his career. And um, I just think it's an incredible fit. This is the Rams. and, And, you know, when I first got drafted in Washington, one of the first meetings that I was ever a part of, Joe Gibbs came up in front of the team. And at that time, there were 28 teams in the league. There weren't 32. But at that time, 28 teams, he goes, you know, there's literally a half a dozen, maybe eight teams that are actually committed to trying to win a championship. And we're one of those teams. So you like, and it's true. It really hasn't changed. There's to me, there's 10, 12 teams that are actually all about winning a championship. And then there are, uh, you know, the other 20 teams or the other 22 teams that are really about growing their organization as an asset. It's a business. And, you know, if they have success one year, that's, that's, that, that's a bonus, but the bottom line is they're just trying to grow at 20% every year. Right. And, and so I look at the Rams That's a signal that we're in a window. We've got two of the best defensive players in the history of this game in Ramsey and Aaron Donald. We've got, you know, a great young running back. We've got some really good tight ends and, and young wide receivers. Um, We, we got a good old line. We just need a quarterback to get us over the top. And I appreciate the fact that they'll trade unknown commodities for a known commodity and say, Let's go win a championship. Let's see if we can compete for a championship. I appreciate that. Matthew Stafford, to me, again, is is one of the best in this league that um, just hasn't ever been supported. I'll give you a couple quick numbers. Um, Matthew Stafford played for 12 years. Do you know that he has had the sum total of eleven hundred 100-yard rushers in that 12-year career? Uh, 11 over 12 years he's had one top 10 defense in those 12 years by the way they went 11 and five that year you know joe flacco won a game a playoff game where he went four for 10 for like 42 yards and got the w you know i mean give me a break on that crap
2: so i take it you're not part of the wins or a quarterback stat crowd which i know your buddy trey wingo hates that more than anything
4: yeah, no, there's no, there's no, Trey and I will get on the phone and just, and just, you know, piss and moan about the quarterback's <laughs> wins. It's, it's great to me, you know, defense wins championships and all that. that that's baloney. Great teams win championships. Gotta have a great team. Now, yeah, quarterback can cover some warts. Don't get me wrong. Car, quarterback will cover warts, but he can't do it all himself.
2: So now with Stafford out in L.A., because Jared Goff, you know, I, I wouldn't give you two cents for him. I think he's one of the worst 16 starting quarterbacks in the league, definitely in that bottom half. Does Stafford make the Rams favorites in the NFC next year? I mean, you've got Green Bay lacking pieces around Rodgers. Brady will be a year older. Are the Rams atop the conference? I think the Rams are
4: – I mean, I, think, I look at their own division. Their own division is tough, right? Yeah. yeah. With Seattle, although they seem to match up against Seattle well. Mm-hmm. And, and where they really have matched up against Seattle is uh, they dominate a line of scrimmage. That's, that's what they do. You know, it's, it's funny. You look at every one of these playoff games, um, show me the team that won. And and for the most part, I can show you the team that dominated both lines of scrimmage. And so, yeah, the quarterbacks are important. I understand that, but again, it comes down to complete teams, but I would put, I'd put the Rams right there in, in the conversation of, I, the, the NFC, I mean, when you think about it, Seattle's going to be right there again. Uh, the Rams are going to be right there. I expect a bounce back uh, when when the Niners are healthy. Um, a bounce back from the Niners because they're a tough matchup for everybody. That division, by, by, how about, I just named three teams from one division in Arizona for crying out loud. Um, but yeah, I, I, I imagine they're going to be right there. I don't know that they're going to be the favorite, but they're going to be right there in the thick of things.
2: Well, Mark, there's one team in the NFC I want to touch on their fan base specifically. It's my New York Giants. And I have to ask because anytime you were on the assignment for a Giants game, I loved watching it. But you've got incredible beef with Giants Twitter. Where did that all start this year?
4: Um, They didn't like the fact that when I called the game in Seattle that I was excited about DK Metcalf's stiff arm and um, – and you know, and a couple of big-time plays by Jamal Adams, who just makes plays around the line of scrimmage constantly. And they – you know, the, the beef came from the fact that I was excited about – I get I get geeked up about football, man. I love football. And so uh, that's really where the beef came from. But, you know, you know me, man. I'm just – I got nothing to do. I'm sitting in the car service driving back to my house, and, and I'm getting grief from Giants fans, and I'm like, get at me. You know, I don't have any issue with that. So, yeah, uh, I sparred with it. Like, I had one dude say, hey, man, uh, you know, I know the stiff arm from DK Metcalf looked good. But, um, you know, uh, our corner almost created a turnover. And I go, oh, I didn't know almost turnovers were a uh, were a statistical category that like yeah. gets almost like it almost wins. And, you know, I, so, yeah, I. I a lot of Giants fans hate my guts, which is great. The feelings mutual, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'll go, I'll go toe to toe with Giants fans. That's cool.
2: Mark, which fan base was the biggest pain in your ass this season? Oh, for sure, Giant fan base. Oh, it They're, was. There, no one tops us, huh?
4: Oh no, it's, <laughs> it's not even. It's not even. It's not even close. Um, but you know, I mean, all fan bases to a degree. Um, here, here's how I look. Here's how I look at it. Right. Like I was told when I first got into this business, this is great advice. You might want to keep this, like, write this down. Somebody much wiser than me told me this. I'm gonna pass it on to you. Okay. Go, you want 50% of the people to love you and 50% of the people to hate your guts. Yep. And if you do that, you know you're doing a really good job. And I get down with like a game like that, and I open up my Twitter account or my social media. And I look at it, and I go, oh, man, the Seattle people love me. Oh, the Giants people love me. I'll have a vodka soda, please. And I just turn it off. I'm like, I did my job. So um, I'm okay with that. I I don't mind the hate.
2: Mark, I love the mentality. I always say, I don't care if you love me or you hate me, as long as you have an opinion of me, I'm doing things right. Yeah, for
4: sure,
2: 100%. Now, I want to get to the big game, Super Bowl 55. But first, I understand that you're here with Pathogen Solutions today. Tell us a little bit about Pathogen.
4: Yeah, you know, I mean, I tell you what, they've done such an unbelievable job. Um, And, you know, it really comes down to shoe sanitizing stations that they've developed. This unit sanitizes your shoes. You step on it within eight seconds. And so you think about all the pathogens you bring into a facility. So it eliminates 99.999% of staph, E. coli, MRSA, coronavirus on your shoes so you're not tracking it into the facility. And really, we've grown accustomed to washing our hands or putting on a mask, you know, and then we walk into a facility with dirty shoes on. So this eliminates that. And it's all about, you know, that community. I, I had the greatest experience last year going to the Super Bowl, sitting with Chiefs fans and absolutely just eviscerating them for three and a half quarters <laughs> up until the Chiefs made this big comeback because I was rooting for San Francisco and my relationship with Kyle Shanahan. But it still was one of those connective things. You know, we, we came together as a community, and we had a blast giving each other grief. And the games are just better when we can all go there. And what they're doing at Pathogen Solutions is trying to bring us back to normal, like the hand washing, like the mask wearing. So now it's the foot sanitizing or the shoe sanitizing. So you can find out more at Path03. So it's Path03Gen.com.
2: Mark, sounds great. And I know how much you hate the Chiefs. You made it abundantly clear last year on Radio Row. So let's get to Super Bowl 55. Look, being an offensive lineman yourself, I know you're big on games being won and lost in the trenches. How much of a factor is Kansas City's banged up offensive line going to play in this one?
4: Well, really, you know, all season long, it's been that way. Um, I know they, they lose Eric Fisher, which is big, but they lost. You know, they lost Mitchell Schwartz, who's probably the best right tackle in football. They lost uh early in the season they've just been able to overcome those and a lot of the reason they're able to overcome that stuff is because andy reeds does such a great job with design with personnel groupings with motions with formations that make you play on your heels and make you have to communicate extra as a defense and it slows you down just a little bit so um they've been able to overcome that this is a great defense they're playing there is no question I mean, I did four Tampa games this year. Their speed, athleticism, um, and their aggressiveness is big time. And, and it comes down to this for me. Todd Bulls, their coordinator, the guy that I played with in Washington, believes in attacking early, stealing a possession or two, getting you behind the chains on first and second down, right, and then playing a little more zone on third down, but really attacking you early. And his philosophy is – during the course of the game, we're going to give up three explosives because we're going to be out of position or somebody's going to beat us. But we're going to create eight explosives on defense, and so we're going to win that battle by five. And that means that we're going to create short fields, some turnovers, and maybe a defensive score, and we're going to beat you. And that's how they play the game. And so you pick it up, you win. You don't pick it up, they win. And that's it really is, is almost that simple when it comes to Tampa versus uh, versus Kansas City's offense.
2: Well, plenty of explosiveness on Kansas City's offense. Mark, before we wrap things up, last year on my show, I asked you who you liked. You said, I hate Kansas City and picked the 49ers. Are you going to let that hatred get in the way again this year? Who are you taking? No, again,
4: this is like you root for Tom Brady, you know, for his seventh <laughs> championship, or you root for, you know, for uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's like this the difference between, you know, Eating a turd sandwich and eating a turd sandwich with sprinkles on it when you <laughs> played play in Denver and you live in Denver. I, I'm going to take – I think Kansas City um, is just that good. I think they'll be able to overcome the loss of their offensive lineman and win this game. But uh, I'll, I'll take Kansas City, which I hate to do, but I'm going to.
2: I'm sure you're picking them begrudgingly. March Schlerer, three-time Super Bowl champ, thank you so much for joining the show. You got it, Joe. Take care, buddy.
1: don't go anywhere you're listening to sorallo sports talk with joe sorallo
2: back here on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining the show. It's a man whose five consecutive Grey Cup championships are a Canadian Football League record, which still stands today. The 1989 Walter Payton Man of the Year and Pro Football Hall of Famer, Warren Moon. Warren, thanks so much for joining the show.
5: Uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, really excited about it and also excited about this weekend. should be a great football game.
2: It absolutely will be and I can't wait to get to that. I can't wait to get to your legendary career but I want to start with the ongoing Deshaun Watson saga that's taking place in the city where you became a legend, Houston. Just yesterday Brett Favre spoke out and said he thinks that NFL players make too much money to voice their opinions. What's your reaction to Favre being critical of Watson?
5: I totally disagree with Brett on that one. I I think um players are making the money that the game has been able to generate. And that's the reason why uh, these players are making this money. Uh, and they wouldn't be making this money if the game wasn't generating this type of revenue. So I'm, I'm more power to the players to make as much money as you possibly can, because it's very, uh, uh, very short careers and in, in some instances very long, but in other instances very, very short. So you have to make what you can while you can, because you never know how long you're going to be able to play. And I think the more money you make, the more power you have to be able to make these types of decisions, to be able to be in a position where you can say, I don't like the way this is going, or I don't like the way that's going, and uh, let's try and make some changes. And if we can't make any changes, then let's just part ways. So I think that's what Deshaun Watson has done with the uh, Houston Texans right now. He feels like their ownership group is going in a different direction than what he feels is best for the football team to win. And I think a lot of other people agree with that, not just
2: Deshaun. Warren, I couldn't agree with you anymore. So, what do you make of this entire situation? Where would you like to see Deshaun end up so that he can have the most success possible?
5: You know, I want him to go to an organization that uh, a stable front office and a stable ownership. I think that that would be the first thing that they both have the same vision of where they want to go going forward. Uh, I know Houston has to receive something out of this deal because they're the ones that are going to be losing one of the the top young superstars in this league. So the, the trade's got to work out for both sides, but um, you know, I think the New York Jets would be a good location for him, one, because they're starting with a new head coach in Robert Sala. I think that's somebody that, that uh, Deshaun really likes. I think they have the capital in order to make the deal work for both sides. I think the Jets are not that far away as far as you know what they have to, to work with and, and what they just need to bring in. They need to bring in a top-flight quarterback, and, but there's also some other pieces they need. There's no question about it. And then you, you have teams like if the 49ers were willing to part with their quarterback, I think that would be a ready-made situation. If, if they're uh, not going to go forward with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think uh, the 49ers would be a great situation for Deshaun because this is a team – when all those injuries become healthy again, uh, this is going to be another strong team that has a chance to go back to a Super Bowl.
2: And boy, that would be scary to have Russ Wilson, Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray, and potentially Deshaun Watson all in the same division. Hey, Matt Stafford's been a Ram for, it's not official yet, but all of about 96 hours. What were your thoughts on that trade that sent him to Los Angeles?
5: You know, I knew there was a possibility of that. I thought he was going to maybe go to, to Indianapolis, but all of a sudden the Rams yeah. swooped in there with a better deal. And and uh, he's, a, he's a Ram now. And I think he'll be tremendous in Sean McVay's offense. Uh, that offense calls for a quarterback to have a little bit more movement than uh, what Jared Goff was able to do. And I think with Matthew Stafford's ability to throw the ball from the pocket, he has one of the best arm talents in the league. He's very experienced. Uh, he's got a lot of come-from-behind wins playing for a bad organization. Uh, but he also has the ability to move and do some of the things that Sean McVay wants to do with his quarterback. So I think it's a great marriage to go along with a number one defense in the league and all those weapons they have on offense.
2: Yeah, it'll definitely be a fun, competitive division next season. Now, Warren, looking at your incredible career, starting with your time in Edmonton, when you transitioned to the NFL, it took you about four seasons to really achieve some success. How much did your time in the Canadian Football League help or potentially hurt your transition to the NFL?
5: You know, I don't think in any way it hurt it only because you're out there playing every weekend. And and even though the rules are different and things like that, you're still playing football and you still have to complete uh, you know, third down situations. You still have to go in the red zone. You still have to go through pressurized situations in ball games. So all those things help you as far as your experience is concerned, even though you're doing it uh, under different rules with different teammates. The thing I had to adjust to in the NFL wasn't so much the rules because I had played those rules pretty much my whole life. It was the the, the building of our football team. We were a very young team when I got there. I was a 2-14 and 14 team the year before I got there. We had to build through the draft, and we finally did that. And once we got the players that we uh, needed to, to start being competitive, we started to win, and, and that's kind of how it happened. So... Um, it wasn't a, 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 a tremendous uh, transition for me, but it was different only because you're playing with different guys, different offense, uh, different organization, even, a you know, different place where you go to, to drop your mailbox, you drop mail in the mailbox, you're in a different city. So all those things go into changing, uh, you know, changing teams and changing countries. <laughs>
2: yeah. And that five consecutive great cup championship winning record that I mentioned before. It's absolutely remarkable. It's a record that will likely stand the test of time in the Canadian football league after your first great cup, or even maybe your first couple, did it start to lose its shine? Did there ever come a point where you were up there holding that trophy thinking, man, this should really be the Lombardi trophy.
5: You know, it never really did. I enjoyed playing up there with that group of guys so much. Um, and you don't really realize what you were doing until I was gone and, and and saw that, okay, we won five championships in a row and nobody's done anything like this in any sport, yeah. any team sport. Uh, so that was something that was remarkable. And it's something that was great to be a proud of. And once you won one, you wanted to say, okay, let's go 3 Pete, Okay, let's go 4 Pete, And then let's go for five. So we have one on every finger. So there was always a, a different motivation on why you wanted to win that next one. And And uh, now as I look back on it, that was a very special time in my life. That was when I became a man, I was 21 years old. And when I left there, I was 26, 27. Um, I had my first kids born up there. So there was a lot of great memories about being in Canada along with the winning that uh, took place.
2: Well, Warren, I, I will say this. As a New Yorker, I got caught up in Ontario at the beginning of the pandemic, ended up living there for about five months. And up there, you are as highly regarded as anyone who's ever walked this earth, man. You are a legend up in Canada. Look, you've got your name all over the league's record books, the NFL, that is. And despite not debuting until the age of 28, what would you have been capable of had you gotten that shot straight out of college?
5: You know, it's really hard to say only because... You just don't know where you would have gone I could have went to a team that had a a veteran that uh, played you know 10 years in front of me and the next thing you know, um, I never get a chance to play because this guy is playing so well that I can't unseat him, or I could have went to a bad organization where we just weren't going to win so you just never know so that's why I never look back and say. Uh, what would have happened if, if this would have happened or that would have happened. All I know is what I did have is my opportunity, and that was to go play in Canada, and that's what I did, and I tried to play as best as I could. And then when the opportunity presented itself to come to the NFL, I did the same thing, and I came to this league and, and played as well as I possibly could. And, it, and both of them turned into Hall of Fame careers. So I, have, I really have no regrets. Um, um, but, yeah, it's fun to look back and say, what if, because you just never know.
2: Uh, Of course, but you know what? It's an amazing mindset and mentality to have. And, of course, you are the only player ever to be inducted in both the Canadian Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame here in the States. I mentioned among your accolades and accomplishments, the 1989 Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Where does that rank in terms of everything else that you've accomplished?
5: I think it's the top award that I've won. And I think if you ask most players that have won that award, they would tell you the same thing, only because it not only – signifies you as a really good football player but it also signifies you as a good person off the field and that's something that was very very important to me um you know when you're an athlete even though you want it or not you become a role model because a lot of young people look up to you they want to be like you and and it's important that you carry yourself in that way so um, for me to get that type of award over all the guys in the league who do so many great things uh, throughout the year Uh, that that was quite an accomplishment for me because there's a lot of great people in the National Football League, not just great athletes. Uh, That doesn't always get shown all the time, but uh, guys are doing a lot of good things back in their community. So this was one of the top honors, if not the top honor that I've ever had.
2: Absolutely incredible, Warren. Hey, I'm down here in Tampa right now. Let's get to Super Bowl 55. You're someone who played until the age of 44. So being in Tom Brady's shoes, how remarkable is the success that he's achieving right now at the age of 43 to be back in the big game? You know,
5: I wish I would have uh, been eating avocado ice cream and all <laughs> he's eating right now. Maybe I'd I'd still be playing. I mean, what he uh, has been able to do has been unbelievable. He's he's uh, been so consistent. Um, he's really you know great with his regimen. He's great with the way he trains. Uh, he's he's ultra ultra competitive. Uh, I don't know what what the fire is it keeps him going after winning this many championships, but uh, he's still talking about next year already. I mean, the the guy just never stops. He's just diabolical when it comes to competing in football. So I I take my hat off to him. You know, I got a chance to meet him as a young kid when he first came into the league and and gave him a little bit of advice, but i I tell you what, what he does and the way he does it. um, You just can't, you just don't have enough words to, to, uh, compliment this guy for how he's been able to play the game and play it so well for so long.
2: And now, Warren, on the flip side, when you look at Patrick Mahomes, such a young, talented quarterback, are there any reminders of a young Warren Moon when you watch him play (laughs) between the arm strength and not being afraid to take a risk out there on the field?
5: Yeah, there's a few. I think he has a little bit more arm talent than I did. I think what happens is when he played baseball as a young kid, because his dad was a, was a baseball player, I think that baseball really helped him as far as his arm and being able to throw the ball from all the different angles that you see him throw it from. He doesn't have to be as traditional as other guys, have everything you know, up under him, his feet and everything. He can throw it from anywhere. He even throws it with his other hand. And that's something that I, I would like to take take from him one day. If I if somebody said, what can you take from Patrick Mahomes? I'd say I'd take the left-handed pass. That, that would be something I'd love to add to my arsenal. But more so than his physical gifts, I, I'm really impressed with his leadership skills because he's really taken over that team in a very short period of time. Uh, he plays with a lot of emotion but it's controlled emotion you know when when he gets excited after a touchdown that's great but then the next time you see him on a drive he's cool calm and collective so i love the way he's able to go up and down and and the way he um he, he leads his football team more than anything for a guy that's only 25 years old
2: he, he's absolutely amazing so warren before we wrap things up which of these all-time great quarterbacks do you see coming out on top this sunday
5: I think it's going to be a great game. There's no question about it. Whenever Tom Brady plays in a big game, it's it's going to be a good win. It's probably going to be a close game, and I fig- figure this one will be close as well. Most of these Super Bowls have been close, and the, all the ones I think that he's won, I don't think he's won one over, you know, over eight nine points. So um, this will be close, but I think Kansas City has just a little bit more firepower, and I, and I think they'll find a way to win this game in the end. Um, just because of their firepower on offense. But I think it'll be a high-scoring game, something like
2: 35-30. Hall of Famer Warren Moon. Warren, what an absolute honor. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
5: Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, and enjoy the weekend.
2: Absolutely. We'll be right back with my final word on Sorallo Sports Talk.
1: Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Soralo Sports Talk.
2: It is time for my final word right here on this day four Radio Row edition of Sorallo Sports Talk. What incredible guests, what incredible stuff all day long from Sean King, Mark Schlereth. And how about that spot right there from Warren Moon? You know, Warren is incredibly impressed, as you just heard, by Patrick Mahomes. And he really is one of the most likable young stars, young faces of any sport out there. It is impossible not to love Patrick Mahomes. And a great article just came out on ESPN Today by Adam Teicher. And it pretty much is exactly why you have to love this kid, because he is 25 years old. He has already signed a contract extension worth half a billion with a B dollars. He's working on winning his second Super Bowl. He's already a league MVP. I mean, he's got every reason to be the most pompous, arrogant figure in sports. But he still stays so locked in and so focused on the moment he's in. It's just really remarkable to be that mature, to be that poised at 25 years old. How about this? He was asked earlier this week, about chasing Tom Brady's Super Bowl record, right? Six wins as it stands right now, ten appearances, and Mahomes was having absolutely none of it. You know, he knows how amazing he is. He knows how much potential he has to set all sorts of quarterback records in terms of winning and in terms of personal accolades, but Mahomes is only concerned with the game that's three days away, Super Bowl 55, said he didn't want to talk about six, Acknowledge, of course, everyone thinks about it. He's young enough. He could have that opportunity. If Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are able to stay together for a decade, trust me, the rings will be there, and there will be multiple of them. But Mahomes is only worried about this second Super Bowl. And now that's not just him staying locked in right at the task at hand. That's Mahomes acknowledging that if he's ever going to be spoken of, as the greatest quarterback of all time, which despite him being just 25 years old, I'm all on board with. I'm all over naming Patrick Mahomes one of the best to ever do it, despite his young age. I think that he'll be right up there in the conversation with Brady, Manning, Montana. When it's all said and done, he might be number one, right? We've got a long way to go, but he could very well be there. He knows though, that this game of all the future Super Bowls he might play in, this game could be most instrumental in his all-time ranking. Because when things are said and done, right, if Patrick Mahomes someday wins four or five Super Bowls, if Tom Brady has six or seven, it'll come down to what happened when they met head-to-head. Brady's already got the advantage. He already beat him in the AFC Championship game a couple years back. But don't forget, that was just Mahomes' first season playing, right? Second year in the league. He sat his entire rookie season, with the exception of Week 17, behind Alex Smith on that Chiefs team. His first year in the league gets to the AFC Championship game, faces off in an absolute overtime thriller against Brady, where, oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes didn't even get to touch the ball in overtime when that game was decided. It could be a whole different ball game if Mahomes gets just an opportunity, just a chance, just gets his mitts on the ball. Didn't get that chance. Now he's got it. Super Bowl 55, Mahomes versus Brady. And while Patrick Mahomes is saying all the right things, and while he is undoubtedly... An incredible person, a genuine, authentic character. He knows when it comes down to his all time status, the question's going to be asked what did he do in the big game against Tom Brady? And just like that, this day four Radio Row edition of Serralo Sports Talk is up, it's over, it's out of here. Special thanks to Sean King, Mark Schleris, Warren Moon for joining the show, guys. We're back at it for one more show tomorrow. I'll see you then. We
0: swear. That night